Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life, a podcast about finding your place in the world. Whether you're an expat, a former expat, a travel lover, or a person who's exploring yourself, we're glad that you're here. If you've never heard the show before, I encourage you to begin with episode one. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, Tiffany, they're ripping down the houses across the street from my apartment. Yeah, I can't hear anything, though. I don't know about our listeners. I I can't believe you can't. I (laughs) I literally cannot hear anything on your side. I can hear your voice. That's it. Well, this is day one of what they tell me will be a six-month process. Taking these two houses down and building some giant monstrosity in its wake. Oh, no. Maybe it won't be a monstrosity. Maybe it will be gorgeous. But it's doubtful based on what they're building in the city of Seattle right now. I mean, I guess it will be nice to have neighbors again. Those two houses have been empty now for at least seven or eight months. But it's going to be really loud, particularly on the days when they're hammering. So I don't know. We'll either have to be very tolerant on this podcast or we'll have to find a way where I can tape with you somewhere else. (laughs) Hopefully it won't be a problem. (laughs) In a quieter location. But the cute thing about it was, and I'll try to post a picture on our website, the man who was in the digger that was ripping down the two houses had a little tiny dog sitting on its lap looking very excitedly over the entire process. And so I asked him to get out of the cab and take a picture with me. I will post that picture to our website, The Bittersweet Life. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. I just wanted to to explain the atmosphere you may be hearing behind me. So just think destruction in your head whenever you hear it. What we are talking about today is the difficulties that expats face when they return home. There was this wonderful article that came out in the uh, Wall Street Journal by a woman named Deborah Bruno, which was called Repatriation Blues. Expats struggle with the dark side of coming home. It was actually sent to us by one of our listeners, Greg, over on Mercer Island. He's a neighbor to uh, me in Seattle. And uh, we thought we'd take that up and talk about the blues, Tiffany. It struck a chord. Now, I've never repatriated. I've never gone back permanently. But I know that it's out there. It could happen. Since, as I've talked about before, my husband really, really wants to move to the States. And I'm terrified. I've told you this before. I'm terrified. And now I feel justified. I feel somehow someone has put words to my strange, uncomfortable feelings about the idea of moving back. Well, Deborah Bruno, the author of the article, she just got back six months ago after three years living in China. She's a freelance journalist who has written frequently for the Wall Street Journal's expat blog, both while she and her husband were away in Beijing and after they've returned to Washington, D.C. The e-book she's writing about that experience, A is for I, A-Y-I, is coming out, published by the Wall Street Journal this summer. And actually, I would like to have her on the show again to talk about China. But before then, I invited her on the show to talk about this article she wrote about the blues of repatriation. The way I began our discussion was having her just give us a description of the article because so many of you listening haven't read it before. People gear up for the expat experience by preparing, understanding where they're going to their new place, learning everything they can about it, 
what happens as they return home from those expat experiences is that they don't realize that there is both a sort of physical and psychological reaction to coming back to a home country, both because they are missing the expat experience, but also because wherever they moved from has moved on in some strange ways over the time that they've been gone. And so there's a huge adjustment that there's not a lot of preparation for, and people don't talk about it as openly as preparing for the expat experience. It really has reverberating effects and can last a very long time. Did you want to write the article because this was something you yourself went through? Yes. My husband and I have been back actually six months to the day yesterday, not that I'm counting. (laughs) When when we lived in Beijing for three years, uh, my husband was actually there a few months before I was, but generally we counted as three years plus. China is not an easy place to live. There's a lot of adjustment. There's a lot of a lot of language issues. There's pollution. There's all kinds of difficulties. But you do have this feeling, and I think this is similar for expats around the world, that you meet other expats and you have this sense, we're all in this together. You know, we can figure out. You, I can tell you where to get the best baguette. And so you have this sense of being on a boat together. And then you come back and you're just another boring former expat. And, you know, the thrill was gone. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have to deal with things like, you know, oh, the windows are filthy dirty and I have to have them washed. And, you know, oh, wait, I have to buy a car and drive and traffic. And, you know, you may not have done that as an expat. And so real life hits very hard. And for a lot of people, they go through some pretty serious depression as a result. Does it make a difference if you liked where you were living as an expat versus if you went on a job assignment and it wasn't really your cup of tea? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I mean, I did have friends who um, returned from China and just were deeply relieved to be back. They didn't have to worry. And these were also people with little children, so they didn't have to worry about their kids breathing dirty air or they didn't have to um, think about whether the food was painted in some way or another. There were definitely people who do breathe a sigh of relief. But for the most part, I think everyone experiences that sense of loss when they when they first come back you know there's some things that they miss that they didn't realize and you know some of it also is spending a certain amount of time building up a life and then all of a sudden that's over you know whether it's studying a language or whether it's remembering a currency you know just even having friends there often seems to be a sense of spontaneity among expats hey let's go get a beer okay yeah i can drop everything and go get a beer it's a different sort of feeling and so people do react to that Coming back then in that regard, feeling like you can't drop anything and have a beer, is coming back in that regard then feeling like you weren't living real life overseas? Is that a part of it? Like you come back and you got to buckle down. Yes. I mean, this was more like being on a extended work-related vacation. I mean, yes, everyone was working and, and people, you know, if they had jobs would work hard, but they didn't necessarily feel as if it was the same sort of thing. You know, I have friends, I've been back six months. I have friends I haven't seen yet being back. And yet I would see them frequently when I would come home on visits. You know, I would make this huge effort to see people and spend time with them. And now no one has time. Well, I can see you in four months at 12 noon on June, whatever. It's crazy. But this is life. I mean, it's me too. You know, things seem to have sped up for me too. I'm not blaming them. I think it's everyone. The pace of life in the United States is much faster than a lot of other places. So that's part of it. 
I mean, I think also um, my husband and I moved back to Washington, D.C., where we had lived for more than 20 years. So we had a built-in community. We had lots of friends. We had lots of people. And so suddenly you're you're getting invited to baby showers and to dinner parties that you might have been invited to if you had been there, but you weren't. So all of a sudden there are all these social obligations, too, which is both good and bad. Do you think it would have gone smoother for you personally had you moved somewhere else other than back home? I think so, because the people that I interviewed for my article said that moving back home, and we moved to the same house that we had lived in for all of our time, that they had found that moving to a new place, they treated it like an expat assignment. One friend I I talked to said that she had been given a sort of a tour book of her city because she hadn't lived in this new, I think it was Boston. You know, she hadn't lived in Boston in so many years, and so it wasn't a bad idea to get the fromers or the photos and sort of treat Boston like you were an expat to Boston. So, you know, that helps, I think, if you if you see it as this is another assignment. And the other thing that, that we've done as a solution to this is we've decided that we need to continue to have adventures. So we've been, you know, signing up for crazy things like a camping rafting trip on the Grand Canyon. It's not anchor-wide, but it's still pretty cool also. <laughs> One of the things that you touch on in the article is that a lot of companies have workers that live abroad and they have services to prepare those workers to move overseas, but there seems to be a lack of anything helping them return. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, it it seems to me that companies are really missing the boat in terms of um, repatriation because what's happening is statistically they are finding that the rate of people leaving companies after they've returned is growing and it's higher. And so they can invest as much as, and this was something I talked about in my article, they can invest as much as $1 million moving an employee back home only to have that employee leave after a certain amount of time. So that's not a very good return on investment. They invest a lot of uh, time and energy in getting people ready for a foreign assignment. And then what they're missing is they bring their employees back and they're not necessarily realizing the talents and the skills that they've developed as expats. They're not necessarily taking advantage of that. And so what's happening is people are leaving the company. They're moving on to other jobs. Is there an issue also, at least from the returning expats point of view, that complaining about that adjustment seems trivial? Yes. You know, I've been told by my friends, okay, enough already. You can't say, I had better steak in Beijing. You know, we were at a steak restaurant, and I said, the steak is terrible. I had a better steak in Beijing. And they said, okay, enough, no more. You can't say that anymore. Even if it's true, we don't want to hear it. You know, and and I thought, okay, well, I guess they're tired of hearing me complain and compare about things in my expat experience. And so if someone asks me about China, I'm perfectly happy to talk about it. In a lot of ways, it's almost as if, that door has been shut and that period is over and sad, but I think that people want you to live in the here and now and they don't want you to look back at your past experiences. So I found that the people that really get it are other expats or former expats. I actually, in, in doing the Wall Street Journal article, I actually felt that I wanted to have every single person that I interviewed for the article live on my street, just be in my neighborhood because they all got it and they're all just so lovely. And I just thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I could surround myself with all of these people? A lot of the research and a lot of the stories and articles and books that people have written have come to a very similar conclusion. And that conclusion is that um, 
people need to understand that they are not alone. They are going through an experience that is very, very, very similar to many others. If they even hear that message, this is normal, this is expected. You will go through sometimes six months, sometimes a year, sometimes two years of feeling as if you don't belong, as if you're sort of have one foot in two cultures. And that's okay. That's actually not outside of the norm. Most people seem to go through that. So that message, I think, is an important message for people to hear. That's Deborah Bruno. She just returned six months ago from three years in China. She's a freelance writer who frequently writes for the Wall Street Journal's expat blog. And unfortunately, our line got bad toward the end of that conversation. She was in upstate New York visiting her parents. So hopefully if we talk to her again in Washington, D.C., the connection will be a little bit better. What I had to cut out because it was too garbled was I asked her what she was planning to do next. And she says that she loves the idea of moving to France because she does know a little French and she would love to put it to use at some point. But that in reality, after being an expat for three years in China, she feels like that has opened her mind to the possibilities of living in places that she would have never considered living before. So she said it could be France, it could be anywhere. Either way, China was her husband's choice. It's her turn to pick this time. The other catch was uh, she brought an elderly cat back with her from China. And she had made a pact with that cat that it could retire in Washington, D.C., so she will not be going anywhere until that cat leaves this world, shall we say. She's stationary, at least for a little while, in Washington, D.C. Oh, and there, see, I'm listening to the ambulances behind you, and I feel nostalgic. <laughs> I know. It's giving me even more repatriation blues. <laughs> I, I hear you. That ambulance, even before I lived in Europe... As I've talked about in a previous podcast, I think it was the sound podcast, mm-hmm. that up and down siren that we don't have in the States was symbolic to me of Europe. It's not a happy sound, but nevertheless, made me think of Europe and made me want to be there. It is a unique sound, a unique sound to there. I mean, we put it in the opening of the show. It's iconic, right? It is Rome to me. It's mm-hmm. Europe to you. Anyway, you'll find a link to the article, Repatriation Blues, Expats Struggle with the Dark Side of Coming Home at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. And I'm also putting a link there to the Wall Street Journal's blog that's specifically for expats. So check that out because it's relevatory. They really write about everything there. So check it out. So Tiffany, when I was talking with Deborah yesterday, one of the things that came to my mind that I thought you might have a comment on was this ongoing question that I've been asking myself Once you become an expat, beyond enlightening you, which it does, and making you have a more worldly view, does it damage you for life? Say you never get a chance to live abroad again, or you're always searching for that next big opportunity to live abroad again. Is that sort of a want and need that will always be there, and you'll never be satisfied again? It's definitely possible that you would never be satisfied again but I don't think it's damage I I couldn't possibly use that word to describe how you would be changed by an expat experience why not well because I don't know I feel like things that damage you are things like serious abuse and traumatic events and going through a war things like that that's damaging having a really abusive relationship but you wouldn't consider it damage to just go through a breakup or go through a big move? I don't think that going through a breakup damages you unless 
the person breaking up with you hurts you in some way, physically or emotionally, while that's happening. So damage to you is like physical bruising. No, not physical. <laughs> I never said that. You, it can totally be psychological or emotional. But I don't think that a positive experience, even if a positive experience ends, I don't think that that in itself causes damage. Maybe if you have such a negative reaction to it, there's something else going on. There's some other problem that maybe you have and a dissatisfaction with life in general. But I don't think that being an expat can cause damage. I think it can definitely open your eyes and make you realize what else is out there and that can cause dissatisfaction when you go back to your former life. But I still wouldn't call that damage. And I think that if you look at it in the right way, you can use that as an opportunity to try. I mean, this is me being eternally optimistic, as I always am. If you're really unsatisfied, do something about it. Find a way to, you know, at least change cities if your city is not inspiring you. You don't have to change countries. Or try to become an expat again. Yeah. I'm talking to you, Katie Sewell. <laughs> Why do you think it's damaging? I want to hear your side of the, of the argument now. It was interesting talking to Deborah because I feel like there is this feeling particularly once you're newly repatriated, that if you're depressed or disgruntled because of the experience of repatriating, you feel like you kind of need to keep that to yourself for two reasons. Number one being, oh, cry me a river factor of, you know, <laughs> how your friends feel about the fact that you got to go live abroad for a year and out your back and you're feeling like a, a little displaced or a little bit depressed well you still had the most amazing year of your life so don't talk to me about it deborah talked a little bit about that too when she was talking about complaining about a bad steak and having a better one in china it eventually your friends are just like yeah you know i don't really want to hear any more about china mm -hmm. and i don't know where that comes from even i mentioned it to you before when we when we landed back in the states and we did that seven week road trip to come home rather than just flying in everybody wanted to hear about the road trip Nobody wanted to hear about Rome. It might be something about the road trip is something that anyone could do in the United States if they get a car and have the time. And maybe there's that perception that it's a lucky few who get to li go live overseas. And maybe it's not a perception. Maybe it's the truth. It does have that don't complain about it factor, which makes any kind of depression sort of written off. I think it definitely is partially that, but I think it's also people getting offended because you're telling them that this other part of the world is better than here. Maybe if you hear it once or twice, like if someone says, oh my gosh, you know, the coffee in Italy is so much better. You know, you might think, okay, well, it probably is. But you know, if every other thing that they say out of their mouth is, oh, the water in Italy is better. Oh, this is, I'm not saying that that's what Deborah was saying, but you know, some people might say that and it could get really old to the people who've never been to Italy and have never tasted Italian coffee and have never had Italian pasta, and they think that the pasta in Seattle is really good, which some of it is. It could just also be that. I have to try here not to compare it to Italy too much to the States in an unfavorable way. Italians get annoyed at that. Oh, you know, gosh, the people drive so well in the United States and they're so polite and they never hit me. <laughs> they, never, they never try to hit me. They never practically run me over, me and my six-month belly. No, but I mean, seriously, though, I do sometimes compare Italy to the States 
I try not to do it too much because it's annoying to people who have never been there or who don't live there and who are like, you know what, this is where you live now, so just deal with it. Deborah said that she thought it was because people have a desire to have you live in the now. But I don't know if it is that. I, I think it just somehow you understand an adjustment to losing a job or losing a loved one almost more than you understand an adjustment of losing I mean in some ways it is losing a life I built a different kind of life in Italy granted it was only over a short period of time but um, I built a different kind of life I made different friends you know I had a different rhythm there the morning of that life and that's something that I can't you you can't seem to find any sympathy for. Well, not not from people who haven't gone through it. It's not even that. I, I'm not even looking. I'm not even looking for sympathy. I should say, maybe it's not that I can't even find sympathy for. It's like I'm keeping it to myself. I don't even really talk to Derek about that. He's been happily adjusting to being here. He's glad to be back. That's not to say he doesn't miss Italy, but he doesn't feel how I feel. Well, you can always talk to me about it. That's true. <laughs> I will understand you. I will get you. <laughs> Because I am terrified, and, and actually Claudio and I have been talking more and more about moving to the States, not anytime soon, still just an idea, but we, you know, we talk about it more and more, and he's just so convinced that that's what he wants, and part of me thinks, you know, I got to live my dream of moving to Italy. How can I deny him his dream of moving to the States? Yeah. So I, I'm not going to ever say never, but it terrifies me. It absolutely terrifies me. What are you terrified of when you say that you're terrified? All of those things that Deborah was talking about, all the things that you've gone through, that feeling of you became someone else, not necessarily someone else, but your life changed so dramatically and now you're in a place that doesn't suit you anymore and you feel different from everyone, but not different in necessarily a good way. <laughs> you feel like you should feel the same as everyone else and you don't. Whereas when you live in a foreign country, like one of our interviewees, Steve, said in the episode, parents, when you're an expat, you know you, you're different and you're allowed to be different. It's like you have this free pass to be different and it's great. And in your own country, Watch what you say. Oh my gosh, I can't compare the coffee at Starbucks to Italian coffee or my friends are all going to hate me. Or just not being able to adjust to the rhythm of life, not being able to adjust. For me, the visual aspect is a big part of it. I love to be able to see the beauty of a European city. And there's something that's kind of undefinable. And I, I can't remember if Deborah was able to define it or not, but it's kind of this sense of ordinariness, going back to the ordinary life. I wonder if it would be the ordinary life for you anymore, though. For me, it's different. I was gone for a year and came back into the city where I know so many people and I'm so well connected. And so I could step right back into my old life to a certain degree. You have been gone for so long. You've created ordinary life now in Rome. You've been gone for 10 years. Ordinary life is Rome. I wonder for you if it wouldn't be as exciting an adventure as what Deborah was talking about of just moving to a different city and getting a city tour guide book so that you can explore it as if it's a brand new place like you would if you were an expat moving abroad. It might still be like that for you. Possibly. Well, I think it might be at the beginning, but I don't think it would last. I think being with my husband, who it would be so foreign for him and so new for him, it might be a lot better than if I were to do it alone because then I could sort of experience it through his eyes, yeah. which would be exciting. 
especially if we went someplace that I also have never lived. But yeah, at the end of the day, I'm so used to the European lifestyle, even though I, I complain about it. It is very much a part of my life. And, and there's a reason that I chose to come here. I just knew. I just felt at home here. Can you picture where you and Claudio would go? Does he want to go to Arizona still? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he loves Arizona. God bless him. I don't know why. No, I'm not. Not No, <laughs> cut out that part. Um, <laughs> no, that's cute. <laughs> I'm not going to get out. There are some great things about Arizona. Don't get me wrong. But I just don't feel like I could live there. My mom lives there. And whenever I go to stay with her, it's awesome. I love it when I'm staying there with her as a tourist, as a traveler. But to live there permanently, he recently has taken to going on YouTube. And I don't know where he found this. He found some... Just in case you're listening in the United States and you're like, how, why in the world would someone do this? You have to try to picture Roman traffic. It's hell. Cutting you off, I mean, is normal. It just happens constantly. There's The roads are tiny. There's sometimes no sidewalks. So the pedestrians are in the road as well, and you're trying to avoid them. And it's just maddening. And people honk and everybody blocks the box and nobody has any civility towards their fellow drivers. It just doesn't exist. So he found some site on YouTube and it shows somebody driving around the streets of Arizona. <laughs> just that. There's nothing else. It's just somebody is driving and you're going to see like from the hood of the car the streets. And he just sits there and he's like, ah, look at these roads. Look how wide they are. There's no traffic. Everyone obeys the street traffic laws. Everybody waits for everybody else. Nobody honks. To him, it's like paradise <laughs> because he fights this traffic every single day, twice a day. And so this is the kind of thing that he loves. Someone who's lived in a big city, the capital city his entire life, he's craving a small town. Yeah, something quieter. Yeah. I don't know, honestly, where we would live if we moved there. I don't think Arizona, but... Well, one thing's for sure. It might lead to a sense of depression and displacement. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. So I'm not going to... If we do it, I'm leaving my stuff here. I'm not going <laughs> to move all my stuff because we could be back in three months. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if I could make an ideal situation... Because I do miss my family, and I do miss spending time in the U.S., and I do miss my close friends. If I could come up with an ideal situation, it would be three to four months a year in the U.S., but it's just not easy. No, it's not easy. So I'm just curious, after having read this article, after having talked to Deborah, where are you right now? Like, are you still in the midst of this repatriation pseudo-depression, I don't know if I want to call it depression, but something close to depression, or do you, do you see the light at the end of the tunnel, or do you feel like if you don't move abroad again, it, you're not going to shake it? Well, I don't want to give the impression that I'm depressed, and I think that earlier in this very podcast, I gave the impression that I'm depressed. <laughs> I might be, but I might always tend toward more pessimism than you tend toward optimism. That might just be me, but where am I in the cycle? I do think I'm still going through it. For sure. It was very helpful to me to talk to her and to hear that message that she was trying to get across in the article, which was, this is common. You are not alone in this situation. Because you definitely feel like this might be a problem that I have. Maybe I'm a person that doesn't adjust very well. It's not like I haven't had a good time seeing friends and freelancing is coming along and going pretty well. But no, I'm not where I want to be. And I, I still don't know exactly what's going to fix that. And at the same point, here we are, 
coming up on me being home for a year in August. And it doesn't seem like it's been that long. I feel like I should be in a different place by now. So I wouldn't say that I'm sitting here pining away for Rome or for moving abroad, but I'm definitely looking. I'm definitely not willing to settle down here in this apartment for the rest of my life. I don't know. What does that mean? Where am I? So I don't... Uh, if you guys think I'm depressed, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you need... Um, maybe you need professional help. I don't know. <laughs> One of our listeners wrote in and he said that he thought... I was depressed because I laughed after saying things like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there you go. And what are his qualifications for saying that? Is he a psychologist? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. He was like, have confidence, for God's sake. You're doing fine. And he's right. I am doing fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is the thing that's so hard to talk about. Exactly. This is exactly what we're talking about. Why it's so hard to talk about it. Because you don't want to be like, oh, woe is me. Because it's not like life is that bad. But it's still a big adjustment. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to start sounding depressed or complaining when you don't really necessarily mean to. That's exactly what she's talking about. And I'm currently demonstrating it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Your textbook. <laughs> well, let's leave it there. And uh, next week... We'll try to talk about something a little more perky. <laughs> <laughs> like your possible upcoming trip to Rome in a few months? Oh, yes. Possible? Maybe we'll talk about that. Won't that be interesting for the podcast? <laughs> you and I in the same room again. I'm hoping that Derek will do a little babysitting and you and I can do a little bit more walking tours of the streets for as far as this show is concerned. I think we're going to take the baby with us. September, he's going to be little. I don't think that I'm going to be... Um, able to to leave him with anyone <laughs> at four weeks old well maybe september we'll see it'll depend on our finances but <laughs> we're gonna try to make it happen yay until next time i'm katie sewell i'm tiffany parks this is the bittersweet life join us again the bittersweet life is the product of the hard work and passion of your two hosts who love good conversation and well-crafted radio and we've heard some amazing things from you about what the show has meant to you Michelle wrote to say that listening to the show has been a cathartic experience. She writes, I feel like a new person, and that may seem extreme, but here's why. And I put that in there just to torture you, because we hope to have her on the show soon to tell you her story. And Mike writes, listening to the podcast from the beginning is like a daily serial from the newspapers, and I look forward to listening. We are so glad that we've added to your life in whatever way we have. And we ask you for a donation in support of this independent artistic endeavor. Tiffany needs a good new microphone. Your donation will make this show stronger and better, no matter how big or small, and it will mean the world to us. So please, if you can, visit the donate page at our website and make a gift. TheBittersweetLife.net We'll send you a real thank you note, and more than that, your gift will be well used and well appreciated in a very personal, one-on-one -on -one way. I could never thank you for that enough.